Warning! This episode of The Secret Cinema contains discussions of disturbing and adult content. So, heads up! Um, just bear in mind that I'm speaking to you as a scholar and not as a man who finds you unbelievably attractive. The prospective Shelmikid Moo bride holds the KFO thusly, allowing her breasts to fall over the edge, suggesting the possibility of her fertility. This sort of Shelmikid Moo wet t-shirt contest. Hmm, yeah. Now, these lines here um, indicate how large the breasts uh, might be, and also determine payment. Uh, one pig's worth, two pig's worth, three pig's worth, and uh, so on, and so forth, and so on. Huh. Here, let me be the Shell Mickadmoo virgin. <sighs> How do I stack up? Um, well, as uh, the Shalmikidmu would say, Jagabando, which roughly translates as uh, more pigs than you can possibly imagine. We are the Welcome to The Secret Cinema, the obscure film podcast with no grant money to abuse. I'm Paolo Carone, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and we're joined again by Emily Neal to discuss Todd Holland's 1998 family comedy, Krippendorf's Tribe. I want to restate that the director's name is Todd Holland, as we unintentionally called him Tom Holland every single time his name came up in the discussion. Todd Holland is much more successful as a director for television, and I am much happier to associate him with his successes there, particularly one of my all-time favorite 30 Rock episodes, Reaganing. Also, several times through the episode, I use the word Polynesian to describe the tribe at the center of the film. A casual check of Wikipedia revealed to me that Papua New Guinea belongs to the sub-region known as Melanesia, so I have to assume Melanesian is the more accurate term. I could still be wrong, though, so don't be afraid to pass on the correct terminology. Finally, in the discussion, we talk about how Krippendorf got a grant to seek out an unnamed, undiscovered tribe. Well, when I went back through the film for samples, I caught a very brief moment during the opening credits when Krippendorf himself refers to the tribe as the Sioux Luki. Now, normally this would make it look like we're mocking the film for an error it didn't actually make, but here's the thing. Why, then, does Krippendorf, upon giving the speech to his peers about his so-called discovery, make up a brand new name for the tribe? I don't have an answer for this question, but it should give you an idea where our discussion is headed. Here's Carrie with the plot summary. After the recent loss of his wife and fellow anthropologist, James Krippendorf is barely holding things together. Enter Professor Veronica Michelli, a former student of Krippendorf's, who tells him that a grant he received is requiring him to present his findings on an undiscovered tribe of Papua New Guinea that very night. Instead of telling her the truth, 
He attends the presentation with nothing prepared and makes up the Shelmicked Mood tribe, a name that is a combination of his children's names, Shelley, Mickey, and Edmund. Somehow, the audience falls for his lies. But can Krippendorf keep the facade going? Or will his faux tribe get disbanded? If there's one thing that defines Krippendorf's tribe, it's the casually dehumanizing racism the film directs toward tribal life. The tribe Krippendorf pretends to discover is defined primarily by childish sexuality, as well as aggressive, simplistic behaviors. In our first clip, the parents of Krippendorf's deceased wife are forcing Shelley, Mickey, and Edmund to sit through the sales pitch for a boarding school when Krippendorf, fully disguised as a member of his fake tribe, bursts in to disrupt proceedings. Remember as you listen that Krippendorf, played by Richard Dreyfus, is covered head-to-toe in black makeup and tribal-style clothing, and that he's portraying a fully-grown adult. Here's that clip. At Chester Hills, we believe a structured life is a productive life is a happy life. I want you kids to look at the new skating rink in these brochures. Gosh, do you know who this is? Hello, I'm Veronica Michelli. This is the uh, the uh, This is the tribal chief on TV. The uh It's that savage that James has been carrying around like a sideshow freak. What the hell is he doing in our living room? Get away from me, you voodoo twit! Okay, let's go! You see, Dr. Andrews, you see what these kids have to grow up with? Chester Hills is our last hope. Maybe it is. Oh, well, Shelly, would you take your cotton-picking purse off of that marble top table? Oh, my God in heaven, what is he doing now? Oh, that just means he likes it. Oh, really? And what does he do if he doesn't like it? Oh! <gasps> Can they start Monday? The sooner the better. Yeah, well, Dad says we don't have to go to your stupid school. That's for your grandmother and me to decide. Yeah, actually, that's for us to decide. We'll choose what's best for you, young lady. Oh, oh no, he's this coming. filthy savage what? out of here. Oh, Get him out of here. Oh, I've had enough. Oh, 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 oh Jesus oh, H. Christ. Oh, Get off me, oh, pervert. Krippendorf's tribe also has problems with sexism, primarily in its treatment of Veronica, played by Jenna Elfman. In our second clip, which takes place the morning after a sexual encounter you'll hear plenty about later, Krippendorf and Veronica argue about their future Shell Mickedmoo-related plans. When his father-in-law shows up unannounced, though, Krippendorf creates a less-than-awesome cover story. Here's that clip. What do you mean the Shell Mickedmoo thing is over? We just can't invade these innocent people's lives any more than we already have. What? Why? Because it's not right. What, what, what was last night about then? Are you saying that last night happened only because you want to become a partner in the Shell Naked Move? No! What I'm saying is I thought that we, that what? God damn it, where is my shoe? You know what? I worked my butt off to make the Shell Naked Move the talk of anthropology. Who asked you? <gasps> oh, find yourself a genius. Gordon. James. Can we talk? Uh, um, as you know, Irene believes the children belong in Chester Hills. But really, all she needs is assurance that the children are being raised in a decent and sanitary you environment. You are an egomaniacal monster. Do you know that? I'm at the front door. Who's that? My new housekeeper. Housekeeper? Housekeep this! 
Don't worry about the ironing, Miss Michelli. Uh, have a nice day off. Uh, uh, would you like some coffee? What's going on here? <laughs> Out of this house. The old school type of housekeeper. <laughs> Runs this house any way she wants, and God help the person who gets in her way. Uh, Tuesday, as usual. Kiss my Neolithic ass. A proud woman. I try to be sensitive to her feelings. <laughs> Lastly, there's a montage sequence in this film where Krippendorf and his kids build the fake Shalmikidmu village in their backyard. And this montage is set to the Mighty Mighty Boston song, The Impression That I Get. The lyrics of that song are very blatantly about hoping you will react appropriately when faced with adversity, and the fear that you won't. So I can't help but be amused by the film's ironic use of the song. So to get you in the right mindset, here's the impression that I get, and we'll see you on the other side for our discussion of Krippendorf's Trial. Have 
All right. We are talking about a very special movie this week, and it's special because we've been doing a lot of good movies, and we figured we'd go back to our roots and do something we really hated and <laughs> really made us mad. And so we decided to do Tom Holland's 1998 film, Krippendorf's Tribe. And I, I, I had wanted to do this uh, for... I, I, uh, my mom, I remember saying this was the single worst movie I forced her to go see as a child. And it's always stuck with me as that. And I now understand why as an adult. And Carrie has seen this with me before, but Emily, our beloved guest Emily. It's me again, bitches! <laughs> She's back. And she had not seen this movie before. And had you even heard of this Hello movie? Hello never even told me the title of this movie because <laughs> I wasn't allowed to look it up beforehand because I think he knew if I read one sentence about it, I would renege and say, no, thank you. <laughs> yes. And you had so many good movies. Like, Student Nurses is a great movie. Office Killer is great. Uh, Inferno is great. Are we you were... asking me how they all stack up against this one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do they stack up, Emily? Uh, they all pile on top of this one and beat it to hell. All right. <laughs> Carrie, okay. what are your thoughts My on Criminal's Tribe? Oh, brother. Uh, gosh, you know, I can't remember the last time I watched a movie and was this afterwards, like, so frustrated. I feel like my, my hands curled into fists without me even trying. I was just like, ah. <laughs> And we talked throughout this whole movie because we had to ask each other questions. None of it made sense. Well, <laughs> except the naivete of whoever made it. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I I couldn't find this anywhere online, but I don't know why this movie got made or why the people who were in it or involved with it or why did it. it would it be considered a children's movie? Yeah, is it rated PG? It has to be rated PG-13, because there's a lot of bullshit and... Uh, Breast measuring, And measuring, a lot of penis and jokes and, and yeah. circumcision. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sure But I saw it as a... Vi I probably... Oh, it was 98, so I would have been probably nine years old when I saw this in theaters. Oh, oh my, my God. gosh. <laughs> this, this is like... I, if, if you were, if, listener, if you remember the show Wonder Showsen, I've always thought of the show Wonder Showsen as like, as like children's television if it was designed to permanently fuck up a child. <laughs> and this movie is kind of like that, but not intentionally. It just is so awful. We gotta get into the content of this movie. Oh, yeah. We like, built this up a lot. It's like... It's like, in the context of it, it's just like, white people can do whatever the fuck they want, and white people made this movie. And no repercussions. And no, yeah. Yeah, it's like, we could definitely say that Manchester by the Sea is a white people movie, but there is, we now can see there's a sliding scale of whiteness, and <laughs> Criminal's Tribe is like, Closer to like the triumph of the will and <laughs> of that scale <laughs> than the Manchester. Well, okay, if we're gonna talk about a movie that is this racist, <laughs> then it, I'm allowed to make the implicit comparison. Uh, it is it, okay. Do we want to just try to explain I, the plot? I mean, not. I what would. I would say on? more than this movie being racist, it's just like so insensitive. It holds nothing holy, which sometimes it works out for movies. Like, make fun of everything, no holds bar, fine. Sure. Like, and the interview. Or, uh, you know, like, like uh, the Seth Rogen, James Franco movie. Yeah, just, yeah. like, anything. But, 
It's taking a anthropologist, making the whole, uh, his whole profession a, a mockery. Yeah, why would he study anthropology and then throw his entire career down the tubes? I think we're just going to have to we, let's go, let's about, go through the plot. Let's, let's talk just, about the plot, yeah. which makes no sense. Okay. You can fill in the holes. So, the main character is this man, is James is his first name, right? Sure. They call him, he's Krippendorf. <laughs> uh, Krippendorf, played by Richard Dreyfus, is an anthropologist, and he was part of a team of anthropologists, and the other partner being his wife. And his wife dies. Who's Dr. Krippendorf. Dr. Krippendorf. Was he not Dr. Krippendorf? No, they're both Dr. They're both Doctor. I just wanted doctors. to call her Dr. Krippendorf. Yeah, but they, they, she was, they say in the movie that she was the smarter one, she was the better anthropologist, and she died. More dedicated. Yeah. They call her brilliant a couple times. It makes sense, because he's a total piece of shit. Yeah, as you'll find out. Uh, but his wife has died, and so he just has this... He's a single father with three kids, and he is just, like, living in this depressed slump in a dirty house back in, based on the accents, I would just say New Jersey? Like... Oh, <laughs> man, I have no idea where they It was live. really tough to... I mean, I have to The weather was good, so I assumed it was California. I, it definitely shot in California, but uh, Mila Kunis and Natasha Leone's accents just kept <laughs> making me think it was New Jersey. But, anyway, so... He's he basically is depressed and he has these kids and he is broke and everything's chaos at his well, house. He can't remember with like a flashback and he's watching old footage he shot in Papua New Guinea and then you have no idea how much time has elapsed and all of a sudden he's depressed and then Natasha Leone answers the phone and says, "Hey dad, the bank is calling." <laughs> Man, yeah, we spent a good 20 minutes of the first, the you know, the first 20 minutes of this movie wondering, wait, when did his wife die? Because we could not figure it out. And you know what? I don't think we ever got an answer to that question. No. I think that we just came up with other questions that we wanted answered more. And yeah. so we forgot about the wife's, wife's death. Yeah, well, the first thing that actually happens is Jenna Elfman entering the household. Yeah. And Which, how did she find out where he lived? Well, she, remember, there was a whole conversation where she's like, I, she was one of his grad students, so she knew his wife also, because yeah. she worked under both of them, so I guess that makes sense, maybe, but she comes in and she does this big expository scene where she's like, hi, person that I've known for years, I'm so-and-so, I have this relationship to you, and it just, like, she explains point by point that, like, oh yeah, I, who... I'm your graduate student, you're a great anthropologist, all this stuff. Hey, by the way, you have a speech tonight about this uh, tribe that you discovered. And he totally forgotten it because she sent him a fax. It is the 90s. Uh, she sent him a fax and one of his kids drew a bunch of stuff on the fax. A mute child. A mute child, uh, Edmund. And so he panics and instead of canceling or saying he's sick... Or just coming up with any Or excuse. using, I mean, using his wife's death as, like, uh, the reason he can't do the, the presentation. Yeah, whenever that was. Yeah, yeah. whenever it was. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's like he just forgot that he didn't have the major discovery he was paid to have. Yeah. But he, so he, he doesn't have anything, but he has to do this big report on this tribe that he didn't discover. And so he just, he clearly doesn't want to do it, but he does it because he, uh... 
Because why? Because, uh, well, the movie keeps, like, introducing all these bullshit variables to, like, force the situation. Like, it's already an insane, unrealistic situation. And then they're like, oh, yeah, well, the bank thing. He has no money. And then he... Yeah, Stephen Root, who is maybe his boss. It's the, the dean. dean yeah. is like, oh, my God, this other professor turned out he didn't complete his research, so... We're sending him to jail. We're sending him to jail because <laughs> yeah. he stole our yeah. money. And... Yeah, he used the grant money to, like, go to Broadway shows or something. That's what yeah. he said. So... So yeah, we're definitely. So yeah, so Richard Dreyfus is like, oh shit, I can't do that. I yeah, so I have all this grant money that I got, but I didn't find a unknown tribe. And in- he's such a piece of shit. He can't think of two sentences to string together to BS at this lecture. He has like at least a day to come up with a plan, and he gets on. He gets he gets to the school, and he's in this auditorium. It's Wait, can full- we say that he went to McDonald's yeah. to start writing a speech? And he and his three kids are taking up three different tables yelling at each other. <laughs> That's true. I didn't think about that. But also the fact that he sort of kind of gets his idea for, or I, to jump, I, I, I guess I don't want to spoil the reveal, but he gets a key plot idea at McDonald's. So there's like this amazing like corporate synergy of like McDonald's is the idea restaurant. So, like, also later they go to Home Depot to get all the supplies they need and they go to Best Buy to look at a bunch of TVs. Yes. Oh yeah. So lots of product placement. Lots of very blatant product placement. But uh, what he discovers and what he ends up running with when he actually goes to speak is that he actually did d- discover a tribe. Uh, the Shell McEdmu which is just a Shelmikidmoo, but it's a combination of his children's names, Shelly, Mike, and Edmund, as we see, because the facts that his child drew on, he, the child wrote all their names, and for some reason the facts is in his papers at the speech, and so as he's scrambling to come up with something to say, he finds this and improvs blatantly for this whole audience, the Shelmikidmoo tribe, and... He, he makes up all these facts and people are blown away. Because like, one of the facts he makes up is that the Sheldmikamood, they believe in, like, single-parent homes. He basically glorifies single, uh, he just thinks, oh, I'm a single dad. This made-up society has single fathers raising children and they're revered for it. Yeah. All right, then, but, yeah. but the key thing, because we needed to get to this to really get into the movie, is... This is a movie that is ostensibly a family comedy about a white man and his family who more or less create a fake <laughs> a Polynesian tribe to, uh, to, to, for, just to keep the for money that money, they lied about. Because he got money! Yeah. Uh, and that's it, really. Like, he lied, he didn't do his job, and so he makes up this tribe. And... The movie basically continues this <laughs> down this road. I route. feel like every every single detail that we reveal about this movie, I'm just going to respond by going, "Oh, I know." I'm having a really hard time figuring out what to even talk about. He did an anthropology <laughs> class he took in college because everything is making fun of it as a profession. Because even Lily Tomlin, who is his rival. Ruth like, Allen. Professor yeah, Ruth she's Allen. She's the Slytherin to his Gryffindor. And she... <laughs> oh, he's is, not Gryffindor. He's Hufflepuff he's for Gri- sure. He's Gryffindor. Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Negative five points for Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah. But it, oh, 
in her, she's introduced in her office where she just has like trinkets from a whole bunch of different parts of the she's globe. She's got a pet monkey. She's a pet fucking monkey. Who sucks, farts? Who, who farts, farts on her? She's staring at herself in the mirror, sucking on a strawberry. Yeah. It's just like, hey, look at these weird people. Their profession doesn't mean anything. Well, and just, Anthropology, you can make it up. But yes. also, yeah, it's he, he's when he gives this speech, it's not to just like a room full of anybody. It's it's people who are interested in anthropology. Like a discovery of a new tribe is very exciting, but let's let's assume the movie is Gosh, um, and just you saying that like the discovery of a new tribe is really exciting. So it's how not he got all of a sudden in yeah. a speech. Well, but not even that. Like he got a grant to discover a tribe. Is that what he got his grant for? So like, what would have happened if he didn't discover a tribe? I mean, he didn't. That's, That's a good point. Nobody even knew what the tribe was called until he exactly. made it up. Exactly. So, so they just, like, gave him a bunch of money. <laughs> and were like, good luck if you, you... The pressure's on, dude. You better fucking find a tribe. Yeah, if you don't prove your hypothesis correct, you must be a failure, right? But at the same time... Okay, hold on. There's another hole, because when he first is presenting about the Shalmika mood, uh, Ruth Allen, his rival reads part of his grant application saying that the discovery would be what is it like astounding it would astound or us. Yeah. And he has no idea what they are. He has obviously nothing to go off of because he starts from scratch. Oh, and I just know like personally for myself, if somebody gave me a bunch of money to do something and then I couldn't do that thing, I would just stress and worry about that constantly. Yeah. Like it would always be hovering over my head. And the fact that he fucking forgot that he had to present about it how would that have happened? Or like, how is there a time where just nobody, oh. t nobody asks him any questions <laughs> until the end date, where he's gone years? Yeah, years. Yeah. Well, you maybe, know. maybe, because we don't know when his wife died yeah. or like when she applied okay. for the grand. Yeah, or the the tape. He's watching the tape at the beginning and assuming that the Shell Mikidmu tribe is in Papua New Guinea. The Papua New Guinea tape these watching says 96 on it. So he, they went, so two years before the action of the movie is when they did this, this research trip that the grant paid for, presumably. Because they said like, <laughs> they said, didn't they say that the wife wrote the proposal? Yes. So how is this that there's just like a gap of two years where <laughs> they're like, well, here's two years. We won't reconnect with you at all also, for two did years. Did she die? Did and she die there? Did she die in the United States? What well, fucking happened? I read in Roger Ebert's review, and I don't know how he got this information, but he said that she died in Papua New Guinea. Let's just say that's true. Sure. And I would believe Roger Ebert, yeah. but I don't remember them ever saying that. Yeah. No. And, oh, I mean, <laughs> I this is almost one of those movies where, like, we are going to put so much time and thought into it, Lord. and it really doesn't deserve it. It no. really does not deserve anyone to think this hard about it. But... I think that's the problem. This movie got made because nobody thought hard about well, what it should or be. Or there's, like... A ten, 10 hours left on the cutting room floor. It's a classic, like, dumb Hollywood screenplay. Like, we've covered similar types of movies where they're just like, yeah, whatever, the premise will carry it along, and it's it's like a sitcom episode. But the thing that makes this a special kind of terrible is that, like, lazy sitcom-style plotting 
is being used to tread on issue, not even tread, to like dive headfirst into issues of race with other bonus issues of uh sexuality <laughs> and yeah. and uh and uh, both of these things in a family movie so not only is it it's a family movie so it's not like an in-depth portrayal of these things but it's a dumb hollywood movie so it gets the dumb uh half-assed treatment that just like anything else would but <laughs> the subject matter is like inherently uh by mocking it or by not taking it seriously is so offensive and allows the movie to go to such offensive extremes <laughs> with the content yeah we, just, uh, we like, haven't even really touched base on the offensive parts because we've only been talking about how the logic makes no yeah. sense because the setup is the confusing part and then it just falls down the stairs yeah yeah, it it really does. It, it everything that it's happens like is like very manufactured. It's like you you climb this really complicated tree, and then the rest of the movie is just you fall down, and you hit every branch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did feel like I got hit by a couple branches watching this movie. Yeah. Oh, they're smearing blackface on again. No biggie. I've seen that before. Yeah. Okay. So this family movie has blackface in it right there. Yeah. That's nine. This movie came out in nineteen ninety eight. Oh. And there is blackface. God, I Isn't wish... Isn't it weird to think that's almost 20 years ago, though? It is. Ugh. Well, and I'm just trying to figure out, because, like, just like... <laughs> fucking Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> I, like what... Like, I know the 90s were not the most enlightened time, but there were definitely, like, movies with black people in them in the 90s. Like, there's no reason to be like... There were black people in this movie. But, I mean, yeah, very They few. all had accents. They all seemed or like... Or they were anthropologists. Mm. Yeah, but it was, it's still like this, I don't know, it's Nanook of the North, and granted Nanook of the North is not like a perfect documentary, it's definitely heavily fictionalized, um, uh, ar maybe arguably to the same extent that the documentary in Krippendorf's Tribe is fictionalized, <laughs> but Nanook of the North is a movie that came out in the 1920s, and it's a movie about um, like people who live in the Arctic North. And it tries to, in the 20s, even though it's, it definitely has that 20s condescension and there's fictionalized elements, it's essentially trying to portray this life as, like, something that's, like, here are how people live. Like, these are human beings and they have a totally different life, but it is worth knowing about. And this movie... Krippendorf's tribe, the what the fucking Shell Mickid Moo. I don't know why it just like does not stick in my brain. But the Shell Mickid Moo, every time in this movie that someone watches footage of the Shell Mickid Moo or like here's a description, they laugh. It's all funny. It's just a joke. Like this it's spectacle. This, but, it's because it, a child has made it all up in his head. Yeah. Because the Krippendorf just lets his yeah, child Krippendorf decide. Yeah, Krippendorf doesn't even make it up himself. He, he made his, up the dildo part because but, it yeah. took his child's But I mean, toy. just like, like, let me put it this way. And this is like a really extreme way, but it's a culture. The Shell Mickid Moo, if they are a real people, they're, it's, it's a society, it's a culture. Just like, so let's assume it's its own thing. Like a culture 
if you uh, like a take an isolated culture, regardless where it lives border wise, it's like its own country. They have their own rules. They have their own society. They have their own way of life. So let's equiv let's equivocate. Let's pick just a country. Let's say that <laughs> Mongolia. If we were like, hey, I uh, was supposed to go to Mongolia. And, uh, yeah, I did, and here's what I learned. You know that Mongolians are just, they just crawl around in the dirt all the time? Yeah, it's real, people in Mongolia are silly. That's what this movie does <laughs> with the tribe, is it, like, creates, it just, like, exists to, like, they just, nobody takes it seriously other than, like, oh, how weird they are. Oh, look how silly these people are. Oh. Well, and even when Richard Dreyfus later, he ends up dressing like one of the fake chiefs for the tribe yeah. he invented and like all the wi the white women are like oh i'm so afraid oh who is this yeah, strange he person plays him as like a grunting man who slams stuff and just like grunts and yells and eats bugs and it's just like i the, there's they, these people are all this is set in the academic world of anthropology where all of these people should, I mean, like, a real anthropologist should understand and have respect for other cultures, and all these people are just, like, afraid of this different man who lives in the jungle. It's like, that's all these people deal with, Wait, is, like, other cultures. Can we just mention now, I was gonna save it for later, I'm just gonna mention, how the fuck did that guy get on a plane to get those estates? Nobody questioned that. Yeah, like, oh, it's an oh, undiscovered, what a great question. It's an undiscovered tribe that only our professor here knows about, but the person from that tribe is here in the States now. Yeah, and one with, of the chaperone. And one of the other uh professors went to Papua New Guinea to find the tribe. And so like, wouldn't there have been some kind of cross? <laughs> Uh, yeah, or, like, she can contact them, so couldn't they fax her and be like, no, one of them is here. Like, I want, yeah. Right. Uh, okay, yeah. I want to go back to another plot hole. You know how before he gives the speech where he makes up the tribe, he goes back to his office? Uh, yeah, the college. The, the, yeah, they act like he hasn't been there in like years. Yeah, he goes in. There's like a dead animal in a box. Yeah. So is he? <laughs> is he really a professor? Is he teaching? It could be sabbatical. But so, has he been on sabbatical since his wife died? Ugh, the whole He's, not knowing when his wife died thing is really a fundamental flaw of this movie. Because it it doesn't give us any timeline for his motivation. But you say that. But there's like if we. If we had strong enough memories right now and weren't just so overwhelmed by anger, there's like 10 things like that in this movie where it's like not knowing fucks up so much. There is so much left unexplained. And so it kind of forces you to just only watch the this weird like, yeah, like people why, in blackface why stuff. Are the, why are the grandparents of the kids so interested in... In like the B plot line of this movie makes no sense. Like the the grandparents of the children uh, of of Krippendorf, they want the kids to go to a boarding school. Why? Well, and they say because they they in like their very first scene they argue that these children 
by living with their crazy anthropologist father. Which, like, their daughter was an anthropologist. But, well, that's the thing, is they, they say that he was dragging her around. Like, they fundamentally don't understand that their daughter was, like, yeah. not only interested in but, it, but guess, more into it. I guess my real problem, though, is that that is the B-plot. That well, is, yeah. Yeah, but like, also, what, that's not Harry, compelling at all. Do you all. remember ever feeling, like, or, like, remembering how many movies we watched as kids where the punishment of the kids in the movie was always being threatened with boarding school. Oh, that's still a thing. Yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, I watched Revenge, unfortunately, also, and I watched a little bit of Gossip Girl. That's just a Girl. thing. They're like, we should just put this in there. This also ties to into some tension with the kids. an earlier discussion we've had about how 90s movies always have, like, single parent households and yeah. stuff like that. It's just like, it's a 90s thing. Like, kids in the 90s are just having bad family lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also, I want to mention, like, after he finally decides to, like, go with this fake tribe that he made up and he's, like, fully committed to, I'm just going to manufacture this and get my family involved, they, the second day, there's a scene where they steal animals. Yeah, there's yeah. just a, a truck with animals and they're stealing animals. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's no. never brought up again. They just no. now have these animals. Yeah, also, he refers to his children as savages. <laughs> want to make sure that's mentioned. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 oh. I, I gotta make a kind of a big point, because I realize we're kind of hinting at it, and it's something I need to just throw it out there so we, it's, it's in the discussion. This movie, a lot of how I've been describing it, I realize it sounds like it's a satire of white insensitivity. And I cannot emphasize to you that no, this movie in no way has any satirical focus no. or voice or presentation of any of this. It somehow presents this material in which a white, no white, white people invent a tribe and all of the other white people don't recognize that it's a fraud and it is not presented satirically. No, it is basically uh, people of color are an invention of a boy. The son of Trippin. Yeah, he this, invents every. He this boy's story is as as acceptable to them as like real tribes. Like it's equivalent. Like yeah, the, the one of the main reasons the grandparents are like, "Oh, our grandchildren are not being raised with enough rules." It's because they go to that the boy, the middle child's presentation at school, yeah. and he puts <laughs> Mila Kunis in a hut and says that because she's a virgin, she will be doused in pig urine. No, it's, it's specifically, it's her menstruation Menstruation, hut. and everyone gasps and oohs and ahs because boys shouldn't know about menstruation. Uh, yeah. I well, forgot that women well, do also, that. Didn't also, you guys? I got, totally forgot. Well, and, th and there's, <laughs> th that scene features also probably the only close-up of a pig's asshole that has ever appeared in any movie. Yeah. But that, like, just think about that scene, too. Like, every part of this movie is totally illogical. And this movie features a scene where to show how awful a child or how upsetting a child is to his grandparents he does a report about another tribe from another country where he like builds shit like if everyone in the movie does assume that the kid is telling the truth that is really fucking impressive you don't yeah. punish a kid because he's like learning about stuff and this movie treats him like report like assuming that every character which every character in this movie does believe he's telling the truth they are offended by him telling the truth about this tribe 
I want to go back to what you're saying about it not being satirical in the fact that also this movie's supposed to be a comedy and I don't think I laughed once. Yeah, what are the jokes? What are the attempted jokes if not just laughing at Well, and it's kind know. of what I'm pretty Emily... sure Al Jolson would like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Remember name the Remember the part where he's in like full blackface and he's in the full outfit and he's like the he, he Richard Dreyfus is dressed up as the Utabaji was that what it was called the whatever. Wait, what scene are you referring? It just to? I was just referring to the moment where he like is dressed up. He's like in the full Utabaji outfit. He's in full blackface. He has all the feathers on. He's wearing the penis sheath and he has the beer and he drinks it and burps and like that that sort of contrast of like. Like, just, like, I don't know, just... But <laughs> it goes into like what that. Emily was saying about, like, you know, you get up this tree and then you fall and hit all the branches on the way down. All of the branches on the way down were predictable. They still hurt. But they're, well, some of, I should say some of them were predictable. There were a few where you're like, oh, I didn't think you'd go here, movie, and you did, um, and I'm like, so upset at you. But, like, I mentioned during the movie that... The scene where Jenna Elfman and Richard Dreyfus are, like, trading being the tribesmen, that is very much like a 90s trope where yes. people put themselves in a situation where they have to pretend to be someone they're not, and I kept thinking about Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, God, me too. It's like an ins it's like somehow a even dumber version of the ending of Mrs. Doubtfire. Wait, this is this might be hard to set up because we haven't touched on the points in between, yeah. but the scene where they're... So, Jenna Elfman has the whole time been, like, his biggest cheerleader until she finds out it's a huge scam, which we'll touch we, on we'll a, in a, yeah. wait a second, but let me just say, <laughs> she hates him at the point of this movie where they're, like, they're in it together where she's in on the scam and they're changing back and forth to pretend to be the same um, tribesmen. tribesmen. And he's in the blackface. She's taken off her clothes and is in her bra and underwear. He looks at her. And if you think of one stereotype, besides, like, black men being violent, black men are so over-sexualized. At that point, she hates this man. She sees him in blackface. She's in her underwear. Immediately, they go after each other and start making out. Yeah. It's yeah. so disgustingly... It, it, at that point, that uh, I didn't... It just makes you sick. I didn't even say, I couldn't even say anything in anger because I was just like, this is, I knew this would happen. Well, and just that the tribe is like, they, he looks they, at her butt yeah. and can't resist. They even say like, like this tribe is at first indistinguishable from every other tribe. Like the, like right, uh, anthropologists saying like all black tribes look alike. Like oh. basically right well, away. And he splices in footage from the fake tribe with his children and the real tribe that he did meet that everybody already had yeah. met before. Yeah, like literalizing like the, they all look the same. Like, no one can tell the difference. Like, it's a given that you can't tell the difference between two tribes. Listen, but, but by the way, my face is so red right now. I feel, like, so hot thinking about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually not very red. Aw, thanks. Yeah, you look beautiful. But, just going back to that scene where they're switching outfits and, you know, they go after each other, is that supposed to be funny? Like, are people watching this and going, oh, hilarious! They have to pretend to be each other. How this is, funny. This is such a stressful moment, but now they're making out. Hilarious. The height of comedy. I love watching people pretend to be other people. It's always funny, no matter the circumstance. And, and what I was going to say, just really quickly, piggy, piggybacking off what you're saying about the sexualization of uh, black characters, the fact that 
everything that's special about the Shell Mikidmu tribe is sex related and it's very crudely sexual and it's made up by that little boy it's made up by that little boy mm -hmm. but it's 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 one of those things where it's it just like it there's there, it, it seems like there could be maybe a way to <laughs> present this material no i don't know i don't know why i'm giving you that credit here's what they come up with that makes the shell meek and move special a circumcision ritual and sexual rituals and that's it, right? Like they're everything yeah, else. Yeah, and they don't something really about virgins needing the, the, to be purified, even though that doesn't right? make sense. Yeah, and then everything else is more or less just like they in, they use other tribe footage, or they uh, there's something with sweet potatoes. There's something with sweet potatoes, but no, everyone is like, we don't care about sweet potatoes. We want sex, sex. We sells. Oh. They even say I want. So I don't know how this happened, but. As soon as he gave his presentation where he made up the tribe, some TV producer who runs like a anthropology TV show, yeah. I don't know, he shows up and is like, I would love your tribe. I want to do specials on your tribe. And later when he talks about the sweet potato thing, the, the anthropologist TV host is like, well, we need ratings. That's not going to give us ratings. Nobody cares about Why sweet potatoes. Why the fuck potatoes. did you pick it up after two days of <laughs> listening to this guy? Okay. Also, I just had, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah. He gives a presentation. <laughs> you guys, can you imagine paying thousands of dollars to go to a university who has a professor who just says, this is stuff I know. No written documentation. <laughs> no evidence. No photos. No journals, no uh, thesis paper, nothing. <laughs> nothing except the grant proposal from like three years ago, two years ago. Whenever. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Jenna Elfman is like, we need to have this series of footage shown. He has not represented himself to even have footage in the yeah. first place. And she asked him for new footage, like you said. Uh, sweet potatoes? No, she wants videos of oh, their man. sex rituals. You yeah. are really hitting a point I didn't think about. How they are requesting specific material, and somehow he produces that footage. So they have to know on some level that he's faking it. Yeah, how because is she requesting sex videos of their rituals? Well, and he's like, no, we can't. Well, case closed. Yeah. He hasn't had. He doesn't have it. He can't make it up. Like you yeah, said. And, and he's not going back to Papua New Guinea. So no, he hasn't left his house. <laughs> and they uh, know that. So like, how? Oh, I'll just dig through this footage, which I just I I haven't watched. I guess until I now. maybe put a camera inside a hut while two people fucked. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> we'll go through and put it. Let me right see out. what I have on file. Okay. Yeah. I have some I have some quick like timing questions because throughout the movie <laughs> and Emily I did not think that's about really, it that way a good like point, yeah. like yeah he's just manufacturing footage for what they're asking for so like yeah they have to well, know on some level that it's fake well during the movie during it'd the be movie, like it'd be like going on a trip you know and you're trying to prove to your parents that you went on this trip and you have no photos and the ne and they give you all this money to go on this trip and then the next day you're like oh mom dad here's those photos and it's all like google images that you No like it's like it's, it, the movie is like <laughs> yes ending its own plot where it's like someone someone pitches like something and he every there's literally no reason provided in the movie for Richard Dreyfus to not go you know what i really can't like i just can't or be like he i tried so to get that footage and it's no. not yeah, and he's he, already lying. God, you why know couldn't he, he just lie in an easier way for himself? He could have said, "Oh, the tribe never wanted to be 
photographed. Or the tribe had never met a white person or seen a camera before. So, uh... We, th we believe they're I mean, in this area. Essentially, like, what we're describing, though, it would eliminate the whole plot of the movie. We have their they wouldn't have made this movie. So we have their Neolithic the dildo and nothing else. Yeah, the solution <laughs> to this movie was it shouldn't have been made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go back to Dharma and Greg. Oh, Dharma and Greg. But, I, okay, I wanted to say something about the, the timetable of this movie because this came up a lot when we were watching. We could not figure out how long things were taking or, like, s stuff, whether it was the same day or the same week. Yeah, and the kids are supposed to be at school, Yeah, right? there's and stuff like that where they're at McDonald's <laughs> instead of school. But, uh, and one <laughs> or thing, filming in their backyard. Yeah, well, and school. the filming thing was one thing, right? I thought about it, and I could, I'll give it some room because I could be wrong, but it's, what, a Monday or a Tuesday or something where he gives his speech? Monday. It's, it's a Monday. Friday, he has to have the footage. So between, so Tuesday to Friday, he is shooting film footage in his backyard, developing that film, editing it. And when they show the film, it has like multiple angles and cuts. So it's like blatantly not documentary footage, but it's also edited. So he had to like pick shots and like chop them so that the timing is just right. It's not raw footage like you would actually have. And so that was one of those things where I was like, okay, maybe he has a dark room in his basement and maybe they just edit all night and whatever. I'll give it that. But can you explain how after he sells the rights to that TV show, how within, what, 24 hours they're merchandising Shell and Moo, like, oh, bikinis and shit? All of a sudden, people at the university are pissed because they have a catalog of things from his tribe that they've, yeah. like, marketed. Yeah. and, and That's like, not how anthropology works. I don't know any... L.L. Bean has a uh, Papua New Guinea guide. <laughs> yeah. I don't know any anthropologists who are rich... Because they merchandise. Yeah. It looked, honestly, it looked like <laughs> Oriental Trading. Like, it looked yeah. like that kind of magazine. Which it was just giraffe print uh, speedos. I was yeah. just thinking about this, and what are the ethical implications of him as a parent getting his kids involved in this giant swindle? Like, he is teaching no, his kids... His kids would be taken away from him. <laughs> or something like this. Like, for the circumcision ritual alone, having his his two boys fake that. Like... Um, Richard Drivers had no affection or any affection for his children whatsoever. No. They were just no. completely separate entities, and Natasha Leone was the head of the household. Yeah. Oh, and also the hero of the movie? Yeah. The best, yeah, the best part of the movie. The hero of the movie, we'll, we'll have to get into this later, but the hero of the movie is actually yeah. by becoming a liar just like I was going to say, heroes in quotation marks. <laughs> uh, she's the only likable character. Yeah, but she's oh, yeah. a bitch. She, <laughs> she's yeah. Because a bitch. she should be. She's yes. likable. Fucking yeah. up. She's likable yeah. by default, yeah. And it's Natasha Leone. Uh, we should mention the daughter is, uh, Richard Dreyfuss' daughter is Natasha Leone. She's the oldest. She is in things like Orange is the New Black. She's in Slums but I, of Beverly Hills. She's in uh, But I'm a Cheerleader. She She's just been in a she's bunch. Great. Yeah, she's great. Natasha Leone is really She's amazing. always awesome. And um, and then the other, the sons, I don't know who the youngest son was. Edmund, yeah. But he was too young. And then uh, he was like five. And then the second son is Gregory Smith, who 
I know as Ephraim from Everwood. God, Everwood gets brought up so yeah, often. Yeah, I, I know. We were trying to figure out why, but... <laughs> well, you know, Everwood is why Chris Pratt is famous. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe that was why. Are we I remember... Williams? <laughs> what are we talking about? Yeah, well, uh, my landlord's BFF with Treat Williams now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, anyway, so Gregory Smith, he was also in Harriet the Spy. He was like a big child actor. Um, he was also in Small Soldiers. Yep. He was in this... What else was he in? Was he in anything else? He's in a bunch of stuff, but you, you've hit a lot of the highlights. Yeah. yeah. He's a handsome dude. Um, But yeah, those are his kids. And I'm trying to think of who else is in this movie. Oh. Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin, yeah. He's the, yeah. the nemesis. Arch nemesis yeah. of Dreyfus. Steven Root's the dean. Um, Who's the SNL lady? Oh, uh, Siobhan, I'm probably mispronouncing that name, but Siobhan Fallon, uh, who we, we remembered from 30 Rock as one of Jack Donaghy's sisters. And Jack Donaghy's mom, two 30 Rock people. Yeah, and, uh... Elaine. Yeah, Elaine Stritch. Stritch, yeah. Also, the, uh, very briefly in this movie, uh, Frances Bay, who played Billy Madison's grandma, and she's also Kyle MacLachlan's grandma in Blue Velvet, uh, she shows up, and her nurse is Max Mom from It's Always Sunny. And because Emily brought up It's Always Sunny, I kept thinking about how It's Always Sunny has blackface in it. Like, every, there's a couple, it's not all the time, but there's a couple episodes where they're in, like, The four. first episode's called, like, The Gang Gets Racist. Yeah, but I don't know if they're blackface in that, but when they do no, the but, Lethal Weapon episode, they're yeah. in, like, full-body blackface. <laughs> like, it is, it, but the point of it, and that's why I had to emphasize the satirical thing, is that when you watch It's Always Sunny, you know from the context of the show and the way it's directed and written and just presented that... What if these characters are doing it? It's stupid. Like it yeah. is, or it's like ethically stupid. wrong. Yeah. yeah, they're the only. People they're all terrible. To, they're yeah. They're I. Oh my god, I can't say how much I love that show enough. Because they're the only ones that do blackface to point out how shitty, how yeah. sh complete. You have to be full of shit to want to do it. Yeah, you have to be set either like a total asshole or just so completely oblivious yeah. that like there's those the only reason. I don't know what year. Was Ted Danson in blackface? Was that also 1998? <laughs> when did he date I, Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah, that had to be, oh. I want to say that was early 90s, late 80s. And at very least, she asked him to do that. Like, it was, he should have known not to do it, but it was... Because Whoopi's not going to get in trouble. Exactly. She was like, yeah, this will be hilarious for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she and Ted were probably stoned, and she's like... Would you indulge me in this, like, little bit of uh, humiliation that will really, really make me happy? I'm also, sure the dance was happy. plug, as long as we're talking about blackface, <laughs> go see Get Out. That movie's great. Yeah, we gotta see it still. Yep. Tuesday. Different level blackface. I mean, the don't, we don't know when we're gonna see it, podcasters. Ooh. We don't know our lives. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> So to bring it back into yeah, the movie we had to we segue away for a second yeah. because we were all just getting too exasperated. Yeah, yeah everyone, we had to talk about something we liked. Everyone who's listening has to listen with like one earbud out of their ear this episode. I think they're gonna listen to this episode and, and be like, "Why are they talking so loud? Or yeah, like, what is that, what that, happens in this movie? <laughs> that Emily girl so shrill." <laughs> No one would say that about you. We're gonna, get, say that. we're gonna get so many vocal fry criticisms. But um okay, so bring it back to Grimdorf's <laughs> tribe. Uh the the blackface 
is not just presented by characters who we are supposed to like. They are put in the the protagonist position. We are supposed to empathize with the fact that the wife is dead and he's a single father. Like, this is all stuff that is clearly supposed to be empathized with. On top of that, he is an educator. He is in a respected position. He is tenured at a college. Everything about this suggests that, like, well, this person... He either it makes sense for him to do this, or he wouldn't do this unless he had a good reason. Like uh, there's that sort of justification. This is the '90s. Clinton was president. Yeah. This is totally Clintonian. Like yeah. I'm a good person, so I can do blackface, or I'm a good person with good intentions, well, so also, I can do shitty. Things. And you also notice that, like you guys said, that the kids are a lot of the source for this, but also Jenna Elfman's character is set up to push Richard Dreyfuss into doing this. So instead of it being like, he's a bad guy, it's like, well, he wouldn't have done this, but his, his he was desperate, and then his kids suggested this, and then he would have stopped, but then Jenna Elfman made him. Like, it really makes her worse... It tries to put more of the blame on her yeah, than really, on him. They really try to make it seem like Richard Dreyfus had no other options when think? he clearly could have just said, "No, I never, so I didn't." Find, yeah, I the the joke I made during the movie was that Richard Dreyfus's typecast is that he always is frustrated. Yeah, <laughs> because in this movie he's frustrated, but he's frustrated because he made up a tribe. He he put himself in the situation that he's in. Yeah, yeah, because he was too lazy. I don't know. Yeah, and even it's, again, it's never clear because we don't know when his wife died. We don't know when he applied for the grant. We don't know what the timeline was on this talk or this tribe he was supposed yeah, to be this, discovering. This is the only movie where there's two hours of backstory that would have had to happen before the movie that just is not there. Like, I can't think of another movie that's missing so much. Like, not two, did I say two hours? I mean, two years. Like, two years worth of time that is so thoroughly unaddressed yeah. that, like, it leaves major plot points just hanging in the air. Even if they had just had done, like, that cheap narration trick where it was, like, words in the beginning be like, two years ago, this <laughs> And now look at this sad man. Or Krippendorf once had a tribe of his own, but yeah, the tribe da, da. has fallen on hard times. Like, even something like that. Like, and also... Yeah, they don't even bother saying how the wife died. Also, by the way, I forgot to... I, I wrote down the, the very first line of the movie, um... The very, very first thing that anyone says, Richard Dreyfus says to um, one of the kids, give this to your mother. She's the one without the penis sheath and hands something to the child. That's where we start the movie. That's the baseline. Oh. The penis sheath is is introduced that early on and we run with it. And like we said, there's the circumcision sequence where he films his middle child giving the youngest child a fake circumcision for a bunch of, like, I, I just, like, saying it out loud, it's, like, <laughs> it's it's somehow, like, both worse and, like, so alien to say out loud that I can't even, I can't even be present as I say it. But there's the, there's the Neolithic dildo, which is, Edmund has this, like, wooden plastic rocket ship that has somehow been whittled down. He put down. it in a blender. And so it is, and, and it's a rocket That's ship. That's what he said, he put it in a blender. It's a rocket ship, so it has, like, this, like, phallic nub on one end. It, like, kind of looks like... This is uh, the most obscure reference I could possibly make, but it looks like the dildo from Samurai Dreams from Videodrome. Uh, but it, it it has, but it just he, he holds it up and says, 
It's it's the Neolithic dildo, and everyone's like, oh, hilarious, hilarious uh, anthropology. Also, he uh, calls he they calls the hole in the bottom the woman plug. The woman plug, the man plug, and the woman plug. Yes, uh, and it says he said it was like a sexual aid, but it's just a piece of wood with no opening, so but it's a was sexual. It wood? There was there it had a hole in the bottom. Okay, so that was the woman. Plug. So yeah, so the idea is that it's like. Uh, what is, how does it aid sex? Is it just like funnel to come into the uterus? Like, what is the deal? Uh, <laughs> it, fun, it helps sex. It's not worth thinking about, guys. I'm just going to cut you off. Okay, I but, think his teenage son is like, oh, okay, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm sure his son I know, there's like home. a deleted scene of his son using it, and he's like, hmm. This is very uncomfortable. <laughs> I know, this scene, I love to this imagine. Shaped this me, Dad. This movie could so easily have so many horrific deleted scenes. You know scenes. what? Honestly, yeah, though, that would have been a hilarious joke. Uh, I would have laughed if his son was like, Dad, this chafed me. I would have laughed. I would have totally laughed. You would laugh at a chafing joke, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that one would work. I'm talking, I, I wanted to bring up all, like, the different penis references so that we can talk about the absolute worst sequence in this movie. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I, I can do it. You want to set it up? All right. Yeah. So basically, Jenna Elfman and uh, Richard Dreyfus—they are successful now. They go to that weird church ladies meeting member, and the church ladies ask a bunch of weird, dumb questions like, "Do this? Does this tribe believe in divorce?" Oh and yeah, then, it's like a singles lady club almost. Yeah, but they're yeah. like very churchy, and then um, all of a sudden they like flip a switch, and they're like, "We would watch sex rituals." Yeah, and so they go back to his house, which well, I, it's specifically I, too. It's the guy who does the TV show, the guy that they sell the merchandising to, and the guy who we were talking about before, who like wants to air their footage. Uh, he's there too, and he's saying like, "I will pay you money for this. We, I'm not going to pay you money for anything else. I want the sex footage." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when they say we need the ratings. Yeah. Um. But so Richard Dreyfus and Jenna Elfman go back to his house, which again makes no sense because she doesn't know that Krippendorf's tribe is a sham, also, and that he's filming the sham yeah. at his house. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So why would he take her to the scene of the crime? Okay, anyway, that aside, so they go back to his house, they drink, basically, she seduces him. no, they kind of, like, seduce each other? She gets drunk. Yeah, That's she's that, she's, real drunk. It seems like she was drunk. I, I couldn't tell if there was, like, she had been drinking before, because she takes, like, a sip of wine, and she's, like, Slurring the speech. She grabs his penis at some point. Yeah. Yes, because he brings out like a, a penis looking thing, which is like, oh yes, the uh, women measure or they measure well, a woman's breast when she heaves them over this board. It's like a three foot long board with a, a circle in the middle, and there's like some lines on it, but it really doesn't look like much of anything. But yeah, it's he's saying that like part of the ritual is that the man holds it to his body, well, the woman holds it to her body, and however far her boobs hang down based on the lines, uh, they the tri whoever marries her has to pay like the that that his tribe or who he comes from has to pay a certain number of a pigs. It's a dowry, it's a dowry yeah. of pigs based on the number of breasts, which is like 
I mean, yeah. Number of breasts. Uh, uh, link, of, link of breasts. It's like, uh, it's number of breasts. You have three breasts, so three chickens yeah. for you. I know, it's, it gives you, I mean, yeah, again, continuing the I'm very reductive. Laughing. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm breaking the tension because I hate this song. No, it's terrible. I laughed a lot during this because I was drinking. Uh, but it's like continuing the reductive sexuality of this whole thing. But yeah, he, she's holding it and... I, it was so stupid. I mean, this is me just really overthinking this. But she's, he's telling her about this and she unbuttons her shirt and holds her boobs against the thing. And it's like, how, how, do, how did I stack up? And her boobs don't, did, even don't hang, hang down at all. And she's he's, wearing a bra. And she, I'm sorry, but when you wear a bra, usually boobs don't hang down. That's yeah. the whole point of wearing a bra exactly. is they keep and them in place. mission accomplished in this movie. Her boobs do not hang down at all, but he still says some made-up bullshit uh, that he's like, oh, well, that means uh, more pigs than you can imagine. Like, her breasts are the longest, most satisfying breasts in the world. And then through that, she she grabs through the hole of the wood his dick. It grabs his wood. And uh, he says, why don't we change into something a bit more comfortable? And here's then another, cut scene. Here's another weird time elapse moment <laughs> where cuts to she is in full black makeup and a topless. topless in like a, a stereotypically Polynesian outfit and he is in stereotypically Polynesian outfit with they have like special paint over their black face like she has a gap tooth yes she has a faked gap tooth again what happened between the, with the cuts what happened like between... she was holding his penis when they cut He's... and then the next scene Probably at least an hour later, they're both fully dressed in a costume. Yeah, how long does it take to and put on set up? And so makeup on did your they? It just has a bunch of fires in it. But yeah. did they sustain said, that sexual tension for that whole hour they were putting? She those was. She down? went to the bathroom, was like painting her face black, Who painted her arms black, looked in the mirror, painted one tooth black, so that she was so it was really racist. Like really make sure that we have like a, a like a gap tooth black woman, like just like really just like she the whole time was drunk and like. I cannot wait until he sees me with this gap tooth. He's going to fuck me so good. Like, what is she thinking through that? Also, what a fetish. Yeah. And so. So anyway, so they start like drunk dancing and then they start having sex. But before they have sex, Richard Dreyfuss has set up the cam, his camera behind like a straw mat and films them having sex. Without her consent. And by the way, he is like subtly, because she's apparently so drunk, like we really have to emphasize this. She is so drunk that this scheme works, but also that she does not notice that he is subtly changing his study. It's the study in his house to look like a hut uh, of the shell Mikedmu. And so he's like pulling down, there's like a, a like a, what's a, a reed wall that like, he drops down. Yeah, and, well, and he's got all those fires, Emily. Yeah, tons about. of fires. and <laughs> Which that is a fire hazard. Yeah, that's a lot of fires. And, and he, I don't think they would actually have fire inside their huts. No. He would easily set off all the smoke alarms. He's a negligent dad. He probably doesn't have one. Sometimes I make grilled cheese, and just the smoke from the grilled cheese sets off our smoke alarms. I can't imagine having five live fires in my apartment. Also, they're, not, they're dancing around. They have those grass skirts on. So those, he could easily set the... And so the studies, there's paper under all of this shit. <laughs> like, 
It's crazy. But okay, I'm sorry. I'm like, we're, there's so much to And then that's so, it. And then it, gets, that's it, yeah. it cuts to them cuts waking to... up. And then it's a but like lively woodwinds play, which is the equivalent of going, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Which but, is just like, oh, she can't remember anything. She wakes up in a haze, sees him, is very confused and disoriented, and... and that, But she's not upset. She's only upset once he says, oh, uh, we're done with the tribe stuff now. And she's like, what? No, you can't be done with the tribe stuff. Cut to... She, and she, I will say, she did remember they had sex because he flips it on her where he's like, are you saying we only had sex so that you could get leverage to be involved with this and to, like, try to make her the bad party in this scene? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're right. But, so, you know, cut to the next day. She's at Best Buy buying candy. I don't know why she went to Best Buy to buy candy, but... <laughs> the, the reason is because they were like, where the heck is there both... Candy and TVs. Mm, Fuck it. Best Buy. Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know when you used to... I don't think they still do this anymore. But when you used to go to Best Buy and they just have, like, that wall of TVs. I always think of 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah. Where they're watching yeah. the... <laughs> I watch Michael McDonald one more time and Yango burn this place to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, so... Whenever I would go to Best Buy and they had that wall of TVs, they were always watching sports or, like, the latest Disney movie. But at this Best Buy, they're like, you know what? Let's put on some local anthropologic television programming and blare it all over the store. And so it's the, the and TV a guy. And there's warnings. Yeah. There's a TV guy. The TV guy's there and he's like, we now have exclusive uh, footage of the... Sh- Shagmelamood tribe. <laughs> Did I say it wrong? Shagmelamood. It's so fucking stupid. Shagmelamood. I can't. Shagmelamood. The Krippendorf tribe. Uh, they got exclusive footage of them and their mating rituals. And so it shows... Uh, <laughs> Cut to two people who don't fully understand, like, presumably... Uh, two people who, if they were real tribes people, don't understand that their their mating ritual, their lovemaking, is being shown on television. Like, uh, right there, even without all the lying, it's inherently offensive. Yeah, so Jenna Elfman is in Best Buy watching herself have sex with Richard Dreyfus in front of a bunch of people. And, of course, there's some skeezy guy who's like... I'd tap that or you know whatever. He <laughs> I'd fuck that. Yeah, it's something. It's it's not it's not R rated, but He's it's like, like Ooh, baby. the sentiment is like it's really fucked up because of the reality of the scene, which is that uh, she did not consent to being filmed, and now that film is all over television. She did not consent to being filmed. She got drunk and then was taken advantage of by a person who was not drinking uh she when they had sex and he secretly filmed them having sex uh sex that she was drunk during she is in full blackface and he is in blackface uh i mean can you stack any more complex issues in a scene and then fuck it up so badly like it's like we got rape we got racism we got (laughs) <laughs> like all sorts exploitation, exploitation on so many yeah. levels it's just crazy and this we have and, to say and uh, age difference like Richard she Dreyfus she was a student yeah Richard Dreyfus is 50 in the movie and she is not even 30 yet yeah and this is and there's supposed movie. to be a realistic love uh 
relationship yeah. between them. This I'm not saying you can't have that age difference and be in love, but I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, but this again, Hollywood. It's a but family he's movie. again not likable. <laughs> has no chemistry with anyone else. Yeah. No. Ugh. Ugh. I just feel so exhausted by how terrible this movie is. Yeah. Uh, well, should we kind of, I mean, because there's a bunch of more shenanigans, but it's just more of the same bullshit where they're just like, we- I want to talk about Roger Ebert's review. He, I read it and I, I told Paula, I was like, I think Roger Ebert might have been on drugs when he wrote this review because <laughs> he gave the movie two out of four stars. So he gave it 50%, <laughs> which that's fair. But in the review, he said that there was one scene that caused him to laugh hysterically. Like, he lost it. And he said there, that was really the only funny scene in the movie. And the scene he talks about is when the two boys are, like, pretending to circumcise the younger boy. Yeah. Was that scene funny at all? No, I mean... <laughs> Emily's looking at me with a really confused look on her face. Why is... What? Yeah. That's the scene he pointed out as being hilarious. Like I said, my favorite character, I mean, Natasha Leone is great, but, like, the little boy who never talks, that's probably why I liked him, because he never talked. He made, it like, a cute face. Like, yeah. whoop-de-fucking-do. I have to assume what, if Roger, I don't know, I'm giving him a lot of credit on this one, because this is, uh... But we love Roger. We love Roger Ebert, yeah. but it's like, come on, dude. <laughs> you should really know better. But I have to assume it's because it's a filmmaking scene. It's a scene that is like, mm. it's it's like if a person who had never ever heard of filmmaking had to make a movie about <laughs> making a movie. Like like I was saying the whole thing about shooting in sixteen millimeter, and they're like sh- like it, it's all clearly he's he's just clearly going to edit it later because they're like talking directly to the camera in English, and obviously they're not recording sound, but. They're anthropologists. They should be able to, like, look at people and be like, oh, blue eyes. Oh, he's mouthing English words to the camera. Also, he's doing a circumcision by facing head-on. The two boys are facing each other, and the older boy just packs straight down the middle at the boys' Isn't penis. that how circumcision works? I would you just, least, like, cut the tip off, and I then there's, like, a little bit of blood? Cut from the side? <laughs> you would cut from you the cut side? You cut from the side. It's like an app, you, you use like an apple core where you just like poop and then the middle part they says forgot fine. the cheese grater part. <laughs> <laughs> After like, they do the the quick uh, you know hatchet, then they take the cheese grater and they they rough out the edges. Yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> and now we just lost all our male audience. Yeah. Oh, we're sorry. Whatever. Uh, I also, I, I, I also, why, why would you circumcise a five-year-old? It's <laughs> yeah. a good question. So, during the movie, you know, we, I was personally so distracted by the plot and the narrative of the movie, if you want to call it that, that it's almost hard to put that aside and think about the acting or the directing or the music that was used, like... I wouldn't say that anyone in this movie did a great acting job. No. I mean, the material is terrible anyway, and, but, and the movie is clearly being directed. Like, you point out the director of this, Tom Holland, this was the last movie he got to work yeah, on. Yeah, he still works a but lot. But he works in TV. Yeah. And this feels like an hour and a half 
however fucking long this movie is, it feels like an uh, like a long sitcom episode that just because it keeps going on just gets like more and more fucked up as you know it continues. What, you know what makes me sad is I found out that the the director of this, Tom Holland, he created Wonderfalls. Are you sure? Cause yeah. The, I thought the creator was the guy who created Pushing Daisies and everything like it's that. It's said it on IMDb. Hmm. I'm checking right now. Yeah, check. Um, well, what we were saying before is, like, there's so much stupid, illogical shit, but we do need to talk about the resolution. Wow, I guess so. Uh, man, I was always under the impression that Pushing Daisies created that show. But, I think they created it together. Okay, well, that makes sense then. But... We should. We got to talk about the resolution of this movie because that that is like Ugh. the final nail in the coffin of the uh, oh, any fuck this any movie. argument that there is a satirical uh, bent to this is to definitely destroyed by the ending. Um, which okay, so you, you get the idea. I, like, we we don't even <laughs> have to get into the specifics because it doesn't like nothing happens that is based in logic that has any nuance nothing just, matters everything is terrible it's let's more, watch tv <laughs> jenna elfman knows that the the family has been making this up and so she and richard dreyfus together get into more shenanigans where they're lying in more and more places it's all stupid there's a scene where uh, where they're on tv and it's live tv and he has to eat a grub and it's just fucking dumb but Ugh, this so whole time, this whole time, Ruth Allen, Lily Tomlin's character, has been in New Guinea, and she's trying to track down the Shelmikid Mood tribe to prove um, whether or not uh, they actually exist. They actually exist. She, she smartly doesn't believe that they exist. Yeah, she doesn't believe Krippendorf at all. She didn't even ask him where they are. I think she did. Remember, she had that one word. I can't remember what it was. It's sort of a B. Yeah, because she gets that one location. Well, she gets uh, to a location. We sorry, see guys. Overthinking. <laughs> the movie follows, cuts back and forth at a certain point between her and Krippendorf. And it gets. there's this one scene where she gets somewhere. It's clearly the place that she expects the Shell Micked Mood to be. And there's this big, just open area where... It looks like lava has just destroyed this area. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of looks like a, a meteorite destroyed yeah. that area or something. A, like or dead. a forest fire. I yeah. think it was a green screen, actually. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not a matte painting. Uh, it, but it's... Uh, so she's like... She sends a fax back to the college that's like, this whole thing is a hoax. Like, I went to this one location. Also, where is she faxing? Yeah. Oh, now that I think about it, fuck. But she faxes <laughs> that it's a hoax. criminal uh, has been lying. And her assistant gets this. And it leads to a situation where basically they... They, they do a big reveal. They do the that... big reveal in front of everybody that he's been lying. It's during like the Mrs. Doubtfire thing. He takes off his... his wig i guess so okay so he has this big humiliation again and another fucking time jump thing where they reveal that it's him and in then front of everybody. cut cut to f it's like a, okay it's a the big party banquet is event. over cut to like what has to be at least an hour later because there's like cuts to like the same banquet hall and it's everyone's empty. gone and a guy's vacuuming so it is so the event is so over that people are cleaning the room vacuuming the floor it has to be a long time Krippendorf and his family are in the dean's office, and the dean and the president of the college are there, and they're about to 
uh, put him in jail, put him in federal <laughs> pounding the ass prison for all of his crimes against anthropology. When uh, they get a phone call from Ruth Allen, and she's like, I actually found him! I found the Shell Mikidmu tribe! And it shows she's in a place, and they're just like, of course. They're in the middle of the day, just pounding on drums, dancing, and performing circumcisions. Mm-hmm. Also, did, were they, they made her a fancy drink of some kind. Uh, oh, it was like a fucking Mai Tai. Yeah, because, yeah. Of but course. she was like, I'm on the phone! You asshole. Also, what? It's the mid 90s, and there's a cell phone that gets service in Papua New Guinea, unless it's like a fucking Why satellite she, phone. Do you think that she fact? Because her cell phone was out of reach, she didn't have service. Yeah, Stop thinking. Stop <laughs> yeah, thinking. <laughs> you believe to nowhere. But it she doesn't matter. She's like, yeah, I found them. They're exactly like he described. It's all good. And so basically, the There's dean, just like the dean, yeah, the dean and the president are like, well, oh shoot, I guess this was all wrong, and this was just some weird joke that happened. So we're just going to tell everybody this reveal was a joke. So, like, the movie sets up a scene that it basically has to nullify instantly. But the idea is that Krippendorf and his family have been lying this whole time, and they get this deus ex machina where it just works out. But the actual reveal at the very end is that the daughter, the one person who's been arguing the whole movie for, like, maybe not morality, but at least some sort semblance of sanity needs to take over. She finally goes over the dark side and lies for her father. And part of that lie involves contacting the tribe that we saw the Krippendorf and uh, the other Krippendorf interacting with in the beginning. The daughter calls them and basically gets them to, to pretend pretend to be the Shell Mikidmu tribe uh, for this woman, which again, like, because again, they're all the same, and it's also one of those things where, like, think about the logistics of this and the timing, and she so she he, calls the jungle. Well, yeah, and, he has a phone, she and also they're, phone they're disassembling. <laughs> So apparently after they were established that that tribe is real, nobody cares in doing further research because it's real now. Oh, and now they've disbanded. Well, and that conversation happens like Lily Tomlin calls and they all leave and it's the next, yeah, it's the next day, but it's like she calls and I didn't think about this, but when at that night... timing okay that night when they're getting yelled at by the dean and she saves it it's daytime and then i think it's the next day it's like the middle it's like early morning where they're like all eating out in the backyard and she calls and it's still daylight it's just like like i I, maybe i don't know maybe i'm i'm actually wrong and the timing works out but it's just like yeah the the guy is basically uh thinking too much yeah too much thinking it's, it doesn't matter this movie is but so not so basically <laughs> the movie ends on the note of no consequences no consequences that only but not only no consequences not only are these white people not punished for uh, making up a culture basically like a cultural appropriation to an a degree that's like worth execution, <laughs> but having like directly getting black people or Polynesian people to play into this story to help save the white people in the end. Like the white people have been like basically mocking and more or less like delegitimizing uh, this tribal, tribal life. life. And the only way they get away with it is by in the end, the tribal uh, uh. people like basically like demeaning themselves for not even like 
anything bigger than this one family's financial hardship. It's fucking crazy. Like the more that's oh oh god. I, <laughs> it's really I bad. give up, you guys. Yeah. I don't know. Like I don't feel no, I don't feel anything anymore. I'm turning off it. Yeah. <laughs> You've mellowed. Yeah. You're like, I'm giving up the fight. Well, I feel like I need, like, that... Remember that, that handicapper general story where um, everybody had to have a handicap and one of the guys, because he was too smart, had a device in his brain that would, like, um, make him distracted every ten seconds if he thought too hard? Oh, was that I, Harrison Bergeron? Is that what you're yeah. talking about? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I had to, I need one of those installed in my brain to watch this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I need weights on my body to hold me down to keep me in the room doing this. Uh, yeah, I definitely understand why my mom remembered this as the worst thing I ever made her see as a child. I, again, like, this It's movie, not, it's like colorful looking like it's yeah. set to look like a children's the movie. movie is shot the cinematographer for this movie is dean cundy who among other much better movies was the cinematographer on john carpenter's the thing and this is where he has fallen where he had oh. fallen at this point is what uh 16 years later he is uh lensing uh <laughs> garbage that like this movie i couldn't imagine I couldn't even imagine this movie getting pitched nowadays. Like, this movie is Ooh. too offensive for now. Like, nowadays, I, this movie... I don't even like the word offensive for this movie. It's just fucking stupid. Yeah. It's wrong. It's just wrong. It's really wrong. It's so offensive. At, at very least, it is so offensive that I don't think you could watch it and have any other reaction other than, like, this is moronic. Like, no thought went into this... And it's the racism of, like, low expectations and low effort and just, like, not caring and not an active attempt to portray tribal people as I, subhuman. It just is that because it has so little concern for doing anything thoroughly or correctly. And I think somebody involved in this film paid a lot of money to buy up any copies of it on VHS. Then now you can't find them. I do because we are kind of getting burned out. <laughs> I do want to touch on. I do want to mention this really quickly. This is based off a book, and my theory, the whole, every time we've watched this before, was that the book was some sort of satire about white people, and. I bothered, I actually bothered to look up the plot description. This is what it lists on Amazon as the description of the plot. I'm just going to read this. Book? For the book? Okay. To qualify for a research grant to pay for his Volvo, his daughter's voice lessons, and a vacation, house husband and anthropologist James Krippendorf invents an Amazonian tribe, the Shelmikidmu, whose name and behavioral traits are inspired by his somewhat savage children, Shelley, Mickey, and Edmund. He writes several well-received tracks on the tribe and publishes lurid photos of the children, their babysitter, and the mother of one of their schoolmates in Exotica, a soft porn magazine formerly known as the British Journal of Structural Anthropology. Krippendorf's fantasy tribe and reality soon merge beyond recognition, and he and his offspring dine on the remains of their dead nanny and celebrate in ritual Shelley's first menstruation. 
The domestic and academic spoofery in this unsettling black comedy are a bit facile, but Parkin eventually, Parkin is the author, eventually persuades the reader fully of Krippendorf's mania, and the laughter it inspires partially redeems the more grotesque and tasteless aspects of the story. <laughs> yeah, so, that sounds way better. It sounds way better, but also, someone heard that, and that became the movie that was a fam- essentially trying to be a family movie. Like, well, and the, fact that the, the word that you just said that stuck out was mania. Yeah. They don't make Richard Dreyfus a villain or a maniac at all. No, they give him Jenna Elfman. You're trying to, they're trying to have you empathize with him, but there's nothing worth empathizing with yeah. him for. He's not even Except that his wife died, and even that, it's like skimmed over. Like, oh yeah, wife died, whatever. It just means that he got lazy for a while. Now he has to take care of his kids. What a bummer. But so, just, but still, like, someone read that book. That book where it's like, they About fucking, cannibals. they fucking eat the nanny to keep the, the thing going, which got oh, that, yeah, that, the satire there is clear. But someone was like, let's take the core premise, let's remove all that filth that like dark stuff that no one wants to deal with and let's get into this like core premise and nobody under so whoever read it did not understand the satire or somehow through getting it on screen all of the satire is removed like studio notes or something but like uh okay, do you guys want to just move into teachable moments yeah <laughs> all right here's my teachable moment uh, filmmaking is tough and adaptation is tough. This was a book that somebody liked. This is a book that someone was willing to pay a lot of money to adapt into a movie. And they didn't even... The movie is only vaguely similar in terms of plot. Uh, and it has, like, the very basic, sh- like, structure of, like, this family makes up this. But it goes in a totally different direction and clearly a much more interesting and much more intelligent-seeming point of view on the material. And in the adaptation and in bringing it to the screen, we they have created a totally worthless, totally unredeemable comedy with no jokes, uh, unless you count just, like, references to penises and pigs pissing on people as jokes and you just gotta you have to realize that this is possible with every movie like this is so anytime you read a book and are like huh, why don't they why don't they make this into a movie it's such a great book like this is why like not just because it's a good book doesn't mean it'll be a good movie or just because something could be a good movie doesn't mean that the right person is going to get it like we think of something like uh think of Think of Gone Girl. Like, think of what Gone Girl is and think of Girl on the Train. And Girl on the Train is still, like, a, sh- a shittier book. I'm basing this off of what you told me, Gary. Yeah, I thought it but, was a shittier but book. But Girl, Girl on the Train may be a shittier book, but you'd think that if David Fincher had directed Girl on the Train, it wouldn't be as good as his version of Gone Girl, but it would up certain elements of the material. Uh, he would take it more seriously. Yeah. Chuck Palahniuk famous, famously said that uh, Fincher's version of Fight Club improves on... Uh, on the book and that might also be part of the screenwriter but still like the point of view put on it is there but the guy who directed girl on the train is the guy who directed the help and uh some other shit uh tate taylor uh not a director who has any real skill or ability and so it just sinks to the level of the material probably anything that is suspenseful or interesting in it is just dumbed down and scrubbed and then you have something like this 
which so it's clearly it was a studio movie. This was Touchstone Pictures, right? That's what Emily said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a big studio movie, and fuck, I am just like so fresh with me. I guess my <laughs> I guess my what I'm trying to build to is just that like this movie is a great example of how you a, a book is a blueprint and you can totally miss it. You it's 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 not a given. No quality resource for a story is a sure thing. You have to put skill and you have to know the material you're working with. Because if you don't and you miss the subtleties of it, you can end up with a movie where uh, a woman is uh, taken advantage of while in blackface and not realize that it's not even a kid-friendly movie. Also, I just I want to say the guy who adapted the book, who wrote the screenplay, he wrote Three Men and a Little Lady. Ooh. So that uh, just gives you a little background in his writing chops. <laughs> not necessarily a successful guy. My teachable moment for this movie is um, even recent movies can be offensive, and you should call them out if they're offensive. There you go. <laughs> so you watch this movie, you should learn that you should call out offensive movies? Come on, you're already on probation. <laughs> you have to go teach a lesson. Well, it's just, I, I so often hear people being, like, people trying to defend shitty movies, just like even blockbuster movies, where they're like, well, you know, it's just fun. And it's like, I could easily see someone watching Crippendorf's Tribe and like totally missing all of the morally reprehensible stuff and being like, well, it's silly. I mean, I even told you, I read, I was looking for reviews um, of this movie. And one of the first things that popped up was a blog uh, article written by a guy in 2016 about why are people ragging on Gryffindorf's tribe? It's so silly. Who was ragging on Gryffindorf's tribe? I never even People like us. Yeah, yeah, people like us. People who actually reviewed it. Like <laughs> No, my point is just like this movie has been like really buried by history, thankfully. Yeah. And uh, nobody knows about it. Nobody anymore. knows about it. Because if people knew about it, it would be I feel like there's no way it wouldn't be constantly touted as an example of like Out of why touch. black filmmakers need to be Hollywood and why uh, Native American filmmakers and why, like, basically you need every kind of voice in Hollywood. Because if you don't, you get a movie where a bunch of white people make fun of (laughs) drives. No, but you still, in 2017, have Tucker Carlson saying Moonlight won the Best Picture Oscar because it was expected to win and it had to win because of affirmative action. We're definitely starting to get in tangent, over our head right? with yeah. this tangent. Well, but, um, yeah. My it's... teachable moment was real quick, though, anyway. Okay. Just, like, <laughs> if you read a book and you are talented enough to make a screenplay, don't change it for a wider audience. Yeah. I Maybe that's, like, my biggest pet peeve. And it's... It's, uh, it still happens. I feel like it happened a lot in 90s movies or just what I'm exposed to where it's like, well, we need to get lots of people to go see it. Where I feel like more people are recognizing, like, good films should be made, not films that will just make a lot of money. Yeah. Because those don't, those aren't good. Yeah, I feel like the studios are really learning that. Yeah, well, I mean. Because all the best picture winners, like, none of them were blockbusters. For no. studios, like all Cause, the one hundred million, supposed to be telling a story, and what this is is not a story. It's a a bunch of 
random people doing terrible things with each other. Yeah, it's a bunch of contrivances. And, like, and that's yeah. the thing, is like, film should be made to tell a story. This is not a good story. You know, Don't write bad stories <laughs> for a lot of people. Write a good story for like it's, a it's, few. It's funny, uh, you saying, saying this movie is just built of contrivances made me think about Clifford. Yeah, but Clifford had an amazing point of view on top of its contrivances. Yeah. So at least, like, it, you'd see, like, a bullshit scene or, like, an offensive uh, uh, joke about transgendered people. And then it would turn, and after that, it would be like, okay, but here's an actual scene of content. Well, and that you're, is never, good. <laughs> you're never sympathizing with Clifford. No. Yeah, you and even with with Charles Grodin, you sympathize with him, but it also he like clearly goes mad. Like he goes yeah. like well, he turns yeah. into a maniac. Clifford, the joke is on Clifford because he ends up getting fucked. But <laughs> literally, not, not literally, <laughs> not literally. <laughs> Starting false rumors. Uh, but in this movie, you're the fucked one. The viewer is the one that just lost. Well, and Jenna Elfman. Oh, it's never good. Oh yeah. We're done. Yeah, okay. Ugh. So we're all burned out. Um, don't watch this movie. I mean, this is... No, it's, don't. There's... We, you, you've heard Emily on episodes like Three to Tango and The Beaver. Those are fun, bad movies. The Beaver's available on this, Netflix. This is probably the worst movie we've covered, so <laughs> take that as a, a very, very strong anti-recommendation. Get blackout drunk. But, but you not... You should, okay. But you should recommend our podcast because look at how good we were at tearing this movie apart. Yeah. And <laughs> hey, just if, look at it. <laughs> yeah, look at it. Don't listen to it. Look at it. And hey, if you're doing like uh, I Am Not Your Negro type documentary about the horrible ways that Hollywood portrays and others people that aren't uh, the majority, uh, this would be a great movie for clips in that movie. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Some, some, another great piece of, like, uh, media criticism like that. Uh, Raul Peck. Another good, master's good director. thesis for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone should watch I Am Not Your Negro. It was a really good movie. Uh, and also it will balance out the awful taste of, like, spending money and time on this by just making anybody watch I Am Not Your Negro. Yeah. yeah, and remember, don't overthink this movie. Yeah. Don't think about it. Don't right. think about it. Don't watch it. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, this has been a secret, so <laughs> I'm Paolo. I am Carrie. And I'm still Emily. Rest in peace, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Carone. All theme songs and original music are written and performed by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples are taken from the film featured on this week's episode. All logos and artwork are created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at CarrieSawThis and see more of her artwork at www.CarrieChafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.Video.com slash or read more of his ramblings about film at www.letterbox.com slash Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Secret Cinema Podcast, on Twitter at Covert Celluloid, or like us on Facebook. The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. The Secret Cinema is a product of Larry Leahy Productions. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.